Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bible tonight to the book of Romans. We're turning to Romans chapter 4. And we just want to read a few verses there. Romans chapter 4, commence reading at the verse 1. <coughs> Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth in him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How then, how was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 11. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this evening is taken from Romans chapter 4, verses 5 through to eight. And my theme this evening is the conversion of Martin Luther. This year, on the 31st of October 2017, marks the 500th anniversary of the start of the great Protestant Reformation. Now, the Protestant Reformation was and is the most important and most influential movement in the history of Western Europe and as such has shaped our world in which we live. While the Protestant Reformation revolutionized European politics and law and literature and science and individual conscience, I want you to understand that the Protestant Reformation was rooted in a renewed spiritual understanding of man's relationship to God. It was a spiritual movement which brought Christianity back to the Bible, which brought men back to Christ as the only saviour of sinners and back to faith in Christ alone for that salvation. Now, Martin Luther, of course, and the other reformers did not introduce a new teaching in the 15th century, but rather rediscovered and re-emphasized the great truths of the gospel as taught by our Lord Jesus Christ, as taught by the holy apostles and the early 
church. Now, Martin Luther's conversion to Jesus Christ in the 15th century as Lord and Savior is connected to the Protestant Reformation and indeed, we believe, is central to it. The conversion of Martin Luther is an integral part of the Protestant Reformation. And he is known as the monk who changed the world. There's an autobiography of his called The Monk That Changed the World by Roland Bainton. And of course, uh, Colin Tinsley took up that theme, Martin Luther, The Monk Who Changed the World. 31st of October, 1517, is widely known as the day that changed the world. And that was the very day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door at Wittenberg. And some of us were in Germany in April and we saw the castle church and the door to which Martin Luther would have nailed the 95 Theses on at that trip. And tonight as we continue to celebrate and thank God for the great Protestant Reformation, I want us to consider and learn how Martin Luther actually lived as a child, as a teenager, and as a law student, and how he was converted, and the tremendous change that God brought into Europe through this man and his message. And we thank God for Martin Luther's gifts and ability. We thank God for the talents that he has given them. We believe, of course, that he was a very important character, one of the most influential reformers of the 15th or 16th century. And while, of course, we, we don't worship Martin Luther, we, we thank God for him. And so we're thinking tonight as part of Reformation 500 of the conversion of Martin Luther. Now I want you to think of five things about Martin Luther. I must confess it was difficult to try and come up with a little outline that would help you to form a skeleton to hang things on. And I, I thought of five S's about Martin Luther. Let's think about Martin Luther as a son. Martin Luther was born in Germany in 1483 on the 10th of November. His mother and father were called Hans and Margaret Luther. He was born in Lutherstadt in uh, Esleben in Germany. He was baptized Martin on the 11th of November, the next day in the church of St. Peter and St. Paul in his hometown. And he was called Martin uh, because he was being named after the saint of that day. Little was it known that when Luther was born that he would grow up to be the man who changed the world. You see, no one today could study law, politics, philosophy, literature, music or, or democracy without going back to Martin Luther and the 15th century. I want you to think of him as a son of a peasant and the grandson of a peasant. Little did the world know that that peasant boy was destined to be a preacher's boy who would literally change the face of Europe. His father, of course, was a very hard-working man. He started out in the <coughs> copper mines. And by the time that Martin Luther was born in 1483, he had become a sort of a mine manager and he was managing a number of copper mines. And I want you to understand tonight that Martin Luther was born into the Roman Catholic world of the medieval church. And for at least, we could say, 10,000 years before this event, 
the great light and liberty of the gospel had been largely obscured through ritual and ceremony and pomp and pageantry. Yes, there was a remnant during that time, a godly remnant who held to the truth of the word of God ere the lamps went out completely. And we think of the walled Densians under Peter Waldo. We think of the Aborigines as well. We think of the Lollards in England and John Wycliffe. But when Luther was born, it was a time known, and you young people know this from history, as the Dark Ages. The Roman Catholic Church of his day had been infected with man-made tr- tradition. Uh, it had been infiltrated with power and corruption. It had been affected with ritual and ceremony. It had been uh, infected with uh, immorality. Uh, and uh, abuse was on a large scale. And as a child growing up, Martin Luther would have been taught such things as the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. He'd been taught about the Rosary. He'd been taught about purgatory. And one year after his birth, the family then moved to a place called Mansfield, where there were larger copper mines where Hans's father was working. And in 1492, Luther attended school in Mansfield. And in 1497, uh, they, they moved to Magdeburg. And um, then in 1498 to Eisenach. And all the while growing up in school, Martin Luther would have learnt more and more about the Roman Catholic Church. He would have not only learnt the Lord's Prayer and the Apostle Creed, uh, but he would also have learned about the Roman Catholic Mass. He would have seen the Roman Catholic priests with their ornate robes. He would have heard the uh, worship in Latin. He, he would have been taught about confession and uh, the belief in purgatory, uh, growing up with the knowledge and the thought that spiritual blessing uh, could be uh, bought for money or by good works, and you could have got years of purgatory and had remission of certain sins, um, all for good works and and purchased with money. And, of course, remember Hans and Margaret uh, Luther were devout Roman Catholics, and Luther grew up believing that, that God... The God of the Bible was a, range, a vengeful, wrathful individual. Someone who was always angry with sinners. Think of sinners in the hands of an angry God. And um, Luther grew up with that. And of course he grew up with Rome speaking about scripture and grace and Christ and faith and the glory of God. But, but they were all shorn of their, their biblical meanings. Luther grew up believing that the church has a treasury of merit uh, for the faithful and that he needed to be obedient as a son to the church. Of course, in Luther's day, the Church of Rome was not only guilty of man-made tradition, ritual and ceremony and immorality, but it was also guilty of gross superstition. And, and of course, that superstition continues right up to this day. And you can only think about going to Lourdes if you're sick, or, or you could go down there to Tyrone or Fermanagh to St. Patrick's Well, and you'll see there loads of bandages, variety of different hankies, and these have all been brought uh, from sick relatives And they've gone there to pray to St. Patrick for his healing. And of course, all ties into this mindset of superstition. Superstition is alive and well in our day. And in Martin Luther's day, the church also controlled the school. So not only was he brought up in a Roman Catholic household with with parents that, that were strict Roman Catholics, but when he went to school, the church controlled the school. 
and he was taught that Christ was someone to be feared. Uh, not only was God angry with sinners every day, but Christ himself was someone to be feared. And when Christ's name was mentioned at school to a young Luther, he was trembling. He, he, he was frightened. He, he was afraid he was going to be damned in hell for, for all eternity for his sins. And in fact, he, he said, and I quote, I feared that he would damn me and pour out his wrath upon me. Luther, of course, was encouraged to go to Mary and asked her, talk to your son on my behalf for me. And, and of course, we have to say, sadly, that the Church of Rome hasn't changed as far as its dogmas and its doctrine is concerned. It's still the same to this day. In fact, we could even go further and say it's worse now than what it was in Luther's day because the superstition is still there. The doctrine of infallibility has been added, the doctrine of the bodily assumption of Mary, they still practice the doctrine of the Mass, the doctrine of confession, the belief in purgatory, the sale of indulgences. Wasn't it only in the year 2000 that the Pope declared that he would give the faithful time off purgatory if they give up alcohol and cigarettes for the millennium? And that was only one example. So there's Martin Luther as a son. And I want you to see him growing up in a Roman Catholic household and growing up against the backcloth of the medieval church with its works belief system. I want you to see something else. Martin Luther as a scholar. You see, the amazing thing is this, in the grace of God, Martin Luther excelled at school. At the age of 13, now, now think of it, age of 13, we go to secondary school. But in that era, Martin Luther at the age of 13 was sent to the University of Erfurt to study law. And there he gained a bachelor's degree and a few years later eventually a master's degree. It was said that he had an outstanding ability as a student. He had great academic ability and that was easily seen by his tutors. And of course they gave him the nickname the philosopher. So the peasant's son became a tremendous philosopher in the eyes of those that were teaching him and even his fellow students. He, we could really say he was an intellectual, brilliant young man that was seen at the age of 13. And in 1502, he received his Bachelor of Arts degree at Erfurt. In 1505, he earned his Master's degree and became a Doctor of Law, uh, where he, he proved himself and God, of course, we believe, using his natural gifts and abilities that he had given to him. So not only was he a son, but he was a, a tremendous scholar. I want you to think of Martin Luther in a storm. You see, at the age of 22, Martin Luther had a life-changing experience. He had a complete change of direction. Remember, he's training to be a lawyer. And of course, he's got this Bachelor of Arts degree. He's got this Master's of Degree in Law. He's now a Doctor of Law. He could earn a, a, a loads of money, in a sense. And that's what his father wanted. And his father had worked hard, remember, to, to put him through the law school. And for him to leave it would be against his father's wishes. But, but let me tell you, a number of things happened. Whenever he was at the University of Erfurt, at the age of 22, a dangerous accident took place. The accident had to do with a sword. And of course, if you play with a sword, you could be in danger of cutting yourself. 
And Martin Luther had a near-death experience with a sword. And, of course, it brought home to him the mortality of life, the gravity of life, the, the reality of death, the enormity of eternity. And he was very afraid. He, he was terrified that, that he, he could die and be taken out of this world so suddenly. And then secondly, there was the death of a close friend who also had died suddenly. And Martin Luther was greatly affected. You just imagine one of your close friends, whether at school or at university or in the workplace, and, and, and they die in a tragic accident. You would be affected. I know you would. I would be. And Luther, of course, learned, uh, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. And he knew that we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. And he knew that death was real, not only for old people, but for young people. And he was affected by the death of this close friend. And then thirdly, there was a violent storm. One night on his return to university, he was caught out in a violent thunderstorm. There was thunder and lightning, and he was thrown to the ground. And again, he was afraid. He, he thought he was going to die. And lying in the ground there with thunder and lightning all around him, he cried out to St. Anne. Now, now maybe you're thinking, well, why did he cry to St. Anne? Who was she? Was that his aunt? No. St. Anne was the patron saint of miners. And miners, of course, were taught to pray to St. Anne when they were in any kind of trouble. I'm sure he got that probably from his father. You've got to remember, this is the medieval church with a system of intermediators uh, who, who, who are go-betweens you and God. Uh, and, of course, the Bible says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, uh, the, the man Christ Jesus. So, so he, he prayed to St. Anne, and this is what he said, Save me, St. Anne, and I'll become a monk. And that's exactly what he did. He became a monk at the age of 22. He, he left off being a doctor of law, and he sold all his possessions, including his beloved lute, and he entered the Augustinian Monastery in Erfurt. So he came out of the university in Erfurt where he was lecturing in law as a doctor of law. And he entered the Augustinian Monastery in Erfurt to become a monk. And I just want to tell you that Martin Luther devoted himself to become a monk. For many days he went without food. Many days he drank no water. For many days he didn't sleep. He lay on a cold floor sometimes with no comfort of a blanket. He was very diligent in prayer, diligent in fasting, and he was trying, of course, to rid himself of his sin. And this is what he said, and I quote, If ever a monk were to get to heaven by this monkery, it would be I. I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, fastings, recitings, and other works. And of course he was in fastings often. And when he went to confessional. His confessor used to say to him. Martin. Would you please leave us alone. And come back when you have something real to confess. Because he would confess. And then he would go and think about something else. And then go back again. In 1507. Two years later. He celebrated his first mass. As a priest. He was very nervous. He held the wafer and he prayed the words um, hocus corpus meum and uh, 
He believed, of course, as he was taught by the Roman Catholic Church, that he now had the power to turn the wafer into the actual body and blood and sinew and tissue and bones and flesh of the Lord Jesus. He believed that he was holding up the wafer, offering the prayer to change the wafer. He was holding Christ and that he could offer a sacrifice between the living and the dead. Of course, this wasn't according to the Bible, as he was later to discover, because the Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 12, but this man, speaking of Christ, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. It was at that very first Mass that Luther was so nervous that he dropped the cup, and of course his father was not best pleased with him. Then in 1507, in that same year that he was... Uh, ordained a priest and celebrating his first Mass, Pope Julius II decided to rebuild the famous church of St. Peter's in Rome. And he needed a lot of money. So he issued a seal of indulgence. And a seal of indulgence, remember, is a papal pardon for sin bought with money. I'm tempted to say something about that, but I, I, I refrain, it wouldn't be right. In 1508, Luther arrived in Wittenberg to lecture and study at the university there. And it's there at the university that he gives himself to the study of the Bible, especially the Psalms and the Book of of Romans. Now that's providential. In 1510 he walks to Rome, a distance of a thousand miles. And when he gets to Rome, of course, he's appalled by what he sees, the abuse, the corruption, the luxury of the priests. He witnesses firsthand there the deceit of the indulgence sellers. It was there, of course, in that first trip, 1510, he climbed the Scala Santa which are really the holy stairs in the city of Rome. I think it's 28 marble stairs. And uh, Rome claims that these stairs were magically transported from Jerusalem to Rome by angels. These were the stairs that the Lord Jesus walked up and down uh, in connection with his trial and judgment before uh, Pilate. Luther bought a seal of indulgence. And he was climbing up the stairs. Now, of course, he was taught that every stair he climbed earned him less time in purgatory. And if he climbed to the top, he had a one-year full pardon for sin. And as he climbed the stairs, it was one of those occasions where a text of Scripture came to him. A text of Scripture that had come to him on two other occasions up to this point. And that text of scripture was this. The just shall live by faith. It's mentioned four times in the Bible. Romans 1.17. It's mentioned in Hebrews 10 and verse 38. It's mentioned Galatians 3 and 11. And Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. And of course those words as he claimed towards the top. Thundered in his ears. The just shall live by faith. I want you to think of something else. Not only Luther as a son and a Roman Catholic son of the church, growing up in a Roman Catholic family and as a scholar and, 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 and in the storm, but I want you to think of Martin Luther 
and the scriptures. Because it was really after this experience in Rome when he went back to Wittenberg, between somewhere between 1512 and 1516 in the tower of the Wittenberg Monastery, he's there studying the Psalms. He's the, the, the professor of biblical studies. He's studying Romans. And he becomes convinced by the study of the scriptures of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We read there in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2 and in the verse 16, these words. Luther, of course, did study Galatians. And it says there in chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You see, Martin Luther realized that the perfect righteousness that God required is found only through faith in a perfect saviour, Jesus Christ, and is not found by good works. And the light of the, the gospel dawned on his soul. Martin Luther said this about his own heart. Now, now listen to me carefully. He was being honest. Something that many people fail to do. He, he knew well aware of his own human sinfulness and frailty. And he said this. Now remember he's a monk. And he's given himself to prayer and fasting and beatings and starvation. And, and, and the, the study of the scriptures. And the masses and the confessional. And he said, what good works can proceed out of a heart like mine? How can I with works like these stand before a holy God? And of course, Luther discovered in a study of the Psalms, the study of Romans, truths about the law of God and about the gospel. You see, the law of God condemns us all because the law of God demands perfection, sinless obedience. But thankfully in the gospel, the gospel brings us good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ satisfied the law's demands by the sacrifice of himself, by his sinless life and his atoning death. And there's Luther discovering this. And this is what he said, and I quote, I was seized with conviction that I must understand Paul's letter to the Romans. Then I began to understand the righteousness of God as a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again. And it entered paradise. And this passage of Paul became to me the gate of of heaven. And there was Martin Luther in the scriptures. Martin Luther was convinced that he was a sinner. He knew about the state of his heart. 
He knew that he needed a perfect sinless obedience to be right with God, to be acceptable to God. He knew that he couldn't produce that by himself and the works of his own hands. And then he discovered that, that what he required, God had already produced in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And all that he had to do was receive Christ by faith and the righteous life of Christ, which God required, was put to his account through faith in the Lord Jesus. And he became convinced of that. And I want to say something else. Not only Luther is a son and a scholar, Luther in the storm, Luther in the scriptures, but I want you to think of Luther in a stand. You see, I bring you now to the 31st of October, 1517. In a neighbouring town, a man called Johann Tetzel had come selling indulgences. Remember what indulgence is? It's a papal pardon for sin bought for money. And of course, if you bought it, you were promised time off purgatory. And you were promised the forgiveness of certain sins. You could even buy one if you intended to commit sin and you would be forgiven before you'd ever committed it. That, that's how ridiculous it was. And really what it was all about was about how a sinner gets right with God. And Luther, of course, had been convinced of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And therefore, when he heard about Johann Tetzel coming into a neighbouring town, he was thinking he'd not belong to he's in Wittenberg. So he took up his pen, he wrote out the 95 Theses, which was really just 95 truthful <coughs> propositions, all about reasons as to why the selling of indulgence is wrong, that, that, that it, it, it bypasses real repentance, it bypasses real sorrow for sin, and of course... Um, salvation's not found in the good works that we do, but it's found in faith in the Lord Jesus. Ah, and, and, and faith is a gift of God. And Luther, he wrote it all down, 95 of them. And then he took his hammer against that heresy of the sealing of indulgences and he nailed it to the church door at Wittenberg. Now, why did he nail it to the church door at Wittenberg? Well, that was like the notice board of the day. If you wanted somebody to read something, remember there's no books, that no newspapers, no telephones. Um, so, so he nailed it to the church door at, Whit at Wittenberg. And it was there for all to see. And in fact, he says out of love for the truth and for the desire to make it plain, and that was how he started off. What he didn't know was it was taken down by friends. It was copied on a printing press that had just been uh, produced or invented by a man called Gutenberg, the, the Gutenberg Press, and very speedily and quickly, copies of his 95 theses were sent all over Germany. And of course, the papacy was enraged. 1518, Luther was charged with heresy. And of course, eventually, he was summoned to the Diet of Worms, where he had to make a faithful stand. And he did stand uh, to the, the glory of God. And as we said this morning, um, he made that famous declaration, uh, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I can do none other. Here I stand, so help me God. Amen. And why did he make a stand? 
He made a stand because God had brought him to that place where he had already experienced the grace of God at work in his soul. He had learned that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, received by faith alone, to the glory of God alone. Let me just ask you in closing tonight, you're here and obviously there's been a day when you were born. There was a time when you went along to school Maybe there's been experiences in your life where God has been knocking on your door, whether it's an illness or the death of a friend, and you knew God was speaking to you. And you know tonight you've got a soul. You know tonight that you've got sin that you need to repent of and confess before God. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And none of us are sinlessly perfect. We couldn't never dare go to God and say, well, well, God, I have never sinned. Because the Bible tells us very clearly that, that there's not a just man that liveth and sinneth not. The just man is a righteous man. And if that's true of the righteous man, it's also true and especially true of the ungodly man who lives without a knowledge of God. And you know about your sin. You also know about your need of salvation. The Bible tells us neither is there salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible tells us whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know tonight that salvation's not in the church. It's certainly not in the Protestant church. It's not in the Roman Catholic church. It's not in good works or good deeds. It's not in church rites and ceremonies. Salvation is in Christ alone. And if that is true, then I ask you, has there been a time in your life, like Martin Luther, when you could literally say that a passage of Scripture or a word from God has become the very gate of heaven to your soul, for it was through that that you were brought to Christ? Is that true of you tonight? Is that true of your experience if it is, then you can make a stand for God and you can give declaration and testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ. But I close with this thought. If you can't tonight, just remember this, that the Lord Jesus said on three occasions in John chapter 8, verse 22 to 24, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot come. And like Luther, we had a birth. Like Luther, we've grew up. We've had a life. Like Luther, there have been things that have affected us that has maybe brought God real. Like Luther, we have opportunity because we've got the Bible in our mother tongue and we can read the Bible for ourselves and God can speak to us. And I'm asking tonight, is he speaking from the scriptures? Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Because if you want to stand and be a witness for God, then you need to know this heartwarming experience of receiving Christ as your Lord and your Saviour.